0: Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.
1: We were chatting about this a little bit before, which is just trusting in your own voice the most. And letting that be the guiding thing. That has been the biggest source of kind of overcoming the doubt, I guess. Three,
0: two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I.
1: Hi, this is Joe Peterson. I'm the Vice President of Cloud and Security with Clarify360. I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about a year, and I was drawn in by the energy and enthusiasm of the Women in Tech podcast. Esprit does a really great job in sharing stories of women in tech so that young female listeners can put themselves in the shoes of these women speaking. See, I strongly believe that if we don't show young women the way forward in tech by sharing our stories, then they won't know what's possible. The stories are what creates the value and inspiration. Great job, guys.
0: Today's personal spot is just about how strange it is that we're focused on grinding and hustling and encouraged to sacrifice friends and family in any free time when, because like when we succeed or when we go through really lows, like what does the world expect from us that we're just going to be like alone in all of it? it's just kind of crazy. I'm, I'm driving to my mom's house right now. You could probably hear the car and I'm just thinking about how lucky I am that I, I get to drive to my mom's house. And that's, you know, an opportunity to spend time with my family. And just that we're so encouraged to sacrifice all of that in order to build, 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 and be at our computer. I just, the more that I understand the value and importance of, of of life, of like what happens in life, the more I just, I just think that's so foolish. And I know when I first became an entrepreneur, it was everything. I mean, I sacrificed everything becoming an entrepreneur. And now I think that that's just not the way to become quote unquote successful. You know, anyway, let me know what you think to reach out to me, um, an email or on social at Esprit Devorah, and enjoy the next episode. Bye. Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest. Welcome to the show, Lauren, coming at us from a Bay Area today.
1: Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be chatting with you.
0: I'm so excited, too. Okay, Lauren, the most basic question. So we have listeners around the world. They all think they have to move to the Bay Area to succeed. Do you? Is the only place to be successful in tech the Bay Area, or is it possible to be successful in other places?
1: It is possible.
0: And I would say it's almost
1: even easier, potentially. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So Very different city than the Bay Area, and um, really, I I think it's such a special city. So I definitely have a soft spot for all the cities, even the ones that are often overlooked. So I would say anywhere in the world that you are, you can do it.
0: And I agree. I've traveled to over 100 countries interviewing women in tech. I do not think you need to move to Silicon Valley, to San Francisco, to San Jose, all these things in order to succeed in the tech industry. Just start building where you are. Jump on Twitter. It seems like all of the tech community is on Twitter. And start saying hello to random people by following hashtags. But that's just my little little side note of the day. Lauren, I'm so excited to have you on the show because you are part of a company that is most legitimately changing my life it's the most obscure terrifying wonderful insight into my body ever levels health so excited tell us a little bit about levels
1: yeah no I'm so happy to hear that it's it's changing your life and quite honestly it's changing mine as well levels helps you see how food affects your health at its core It uses biosensors like continuous glucose monitors to help you see in real time how the food that you eat and the way that you live impacts your metabolic health. And the goal really is just to create a window into seeing how your body works so that you can connect what you're doing with what is happening. I am the head of clinical product and um, the overall goal for me is just figuring out how Levels interfaces with the healthcare ecosystem or to what extent it might not interface with the traditional system and it's kind of interesting I joined levels in the fall still you know kind of getting my foundation at the company but I think there's a really interesting dichotomy between the desire to speak the language of traditional healthcare, right? Like the language of diseases and treatments and physicians and all of those things. And also the desire to do something really different that makes sense because the traditional healthcare system, I think everyone would say is pretty broken. So my job really is to figure out where within that spectrum we can have the most impact and help the most number of people.
0: A hundred percent. And tell us, before we get into Levels and everything that comes with the company, I, I really want to know about your journey. What were you doing before you discovered Levels? When did your interest in technology first begin?
1: Yeah. So I'll start with the, the second question. You know, I, I actually hadn't given that much thought to when my journey with technology started, but knowing that I was coming to chat with you, I I gave it some thought. And I actually think my first kind of magic moment, if you can call it that with tech happened when I was about 12. I was very into math, very nerdy, nerdy, well, let's not call it nerdy, a very curious kid. Um, is fine. I'm
0: a proud Nerdy, yeah, right? (laughs) Um,
1: And I wanted to learn some things in math that weren't um, available at my school. And so I enrolled in what was called then a distance learning program. It was offered by Johns Hopkins. And it was basically the most, I guess, like, rudimentary version of online learning. It was these animated online courses with modules. And there were professors. And if you wanted to talk to the professor, you had to call them on the phone at a, on a landline on a designated time to do this. It was the world of dial up. So you had to have a phone line that could be occupied for hours without anyone interrupting. And at my elementary school, the only place to do this was in a little furnace room. Um, and so I would go in there with a super clunky, heavy laptop and unplug the landline in the furnace room and plug it into this thing and do the online learning course. And, um, I just remember like sweating it was so hot but this whole other world was open to me of things to learn and I would just I was so amazed by it that I could that I could access knowledge really from from somewhere that was so distant from where I was in that little furnace room and I think that was the first moment for me that got me hooked
0: on on the power of it I think it's so funny. When I first started podcasting, I'd sit in my in my cars to get the best audio quality, like and not have the AC on on a hot 90 plus 90 degree plus day, just sweating profusely (laughs) just to get the best audio. (laughs) Totally. No, it's like, yeah, you you do whatever works. To go from that experience when you were 12 years old into pursuing technology professionally, when did that transition start to happen?
1: Yeah, it's definitely not been a super straightforward path. I actually started in finance, in private equity, investing, and in, and that included technology companies, but I wouldn't say that it was as much into the core of tech as, as I am now. But from there, I actually went to medical school and was very involved with clinical medicine. Um, and so when I really entered tech um, as, I, I think, kind of full-on, was coming out of clinical medicine and really pursuing health tech. Um, and first doing so through co-founding a startup of my own and then working for Verily and, and more recently joining Levels.
0: Okay, a few things. One, I want to ask when you, like what attracted you to Levels? But a question that is is interesting even before that is so many people are like, how do I attract more amazing talent to work with my company and especially for women it's all in the job description so what did you see when you saw the opportunity at levels that made you think this is the culture i want to be a part of
1: yeah so actually so i was introduced to levels by a med school classmate of mine who later became an investor in levels through a16z so I actually, I was, I, was at fairly, I wasn't I was actively looking for a job and he was like, you know, there's a role at levels that seems like it was basically written for you. Would you, would you take a, a chat? And so I met Sam for coffee and, and to answer your question, I think in terms of what appealed to me at, at that point, it was really relatively simple, which was I was in a situation where I'd seen various parts of the healthcare system and felt that it was really, really broken and basically nothing made sense. And when I talked to Sam, essentially to me, the mission of the company was to do things that make sense. Um, and, and that was such a, a refreshing thing for me and so different, um, I was immediately hooked. And then, and then of course there were all these other aspects of the, the role itself and kind of how different the company was and how strong the team was. But, um, but really it was just the simple thing of, this is a group of people trying to make a difference by doing what makes sense versus what is typical.
0: Let's walk through what Levels is from a very kind of auditory visual place so people really get it. So you have a patch that you put on your arm. It it looks a little bit like a needle, but I've been told it's not a needle. Full transparency that it, it's still freaks me out, but not because it's freaky, just because I'm a scaredy cat. It 100%, like 100% does not hurt. (laughs) And it's totally fine. So it's just me being a scaredy cat. And then it's also incredibly worth it, because I feel like I transform into an android. And I can scan myself at any time to optimize my health from how my workouts are affecting me, how my moods are affecting me, how certain foods are affecting me. So like, let's say maybe pizza doesn't affect me that much. It doesn't mean that it wouldn't affect my best friend because each one of our bodies is entirely different. And so we're told like, oh, you can't eat that amount of carbs or you can't this and this and that. But Like you don't really know what's right for your body unless you know your body. And so Levels really makes it that we actually get to know our bodies. Like a friend of mine was telling me, you know, we usually think sushi is pretty healthy. And he had sushi at one of the airports and it spiked his glucose level. I think it's glucose or insulin. Um, Lauren can correct me. But it, it, it spiked that thing for a couple days or like a day and a half after eating that, which was wild to me. And it really educated me that, man, I could eat something like the chocolate chip cookies I had for lunch today. (laughs) And then potentially the chocolate chip cookies could affect me into tomorrow or maybe even the day after. And if I don't use levels, there's no way of me really knowing that. Or maybe they don't really affect me. Maybe I eat the cookies, but then I go for a run and it was fine. And so it's a really interesting, um, tangible way to see what's going on. So Lauren, like explain to us, like, what did I miss? And like, what is glucose and insulin and why should we care and all that stuff?
1: I think that's a really good uh, summary that you did in terms of glucose and insulin. Really what the what the patch is trying to measure is just a window into all of those really complicated balancing activities that your body tries to do as it processes the food you eat to create fuel for all of the cells which have all these biochemical processes happening in any given moment um, and and interestingly the hormones that regulate appetite and weight gain or weight loss are also connected to other hormone systems in the body for example cortisol and the stress hormones or the sex hormones so really blood blood sugar i think is just the very beginning of helping people to understand everything that's happening in their body. And of course, we'll never get to the point where we understand. I really believe the body is so elegant and intricate that it is an endless mystery in some ways, but the goal is to have tools that let us make the decisions like you're describing. And and I, w- I would add to what you said, which is not only is it that every person's body is really different, it's also that our bodies are different at any given moment or chapter in our lives. So. The way pizza affects you today may or may not be the same as tomorrow, and of course, there's some themes there, but but there's a, there there's a lot of nuance too.
0: I mean, I even heard, um, and this isn't—I haven't done tons of research to back this up or anything—but I heard that tracking insulin. And spikes in insulin, if, if you have a healthy insulin level, it could improve the reproductive system to have a baby. Um, it could help you lose weight. Uh, things that even if you exercise and eat well all the time and you're like, why am I not losing weight? Potentially it's because your insulin is, is really spiked all the time and erratic. And, and that's why. Can you clarify, Lauren, because I am not I'm, I'm 0% expert.
1: <laughs> no, that's you're, you're definitely describing it um, correctly. So basically insulin is the messenger in the body that says to take blood sugar out of the blood and to put it into the muscles for use or to store it as fat for later. Um, and so it's really what's responsible for after you eat and your blood sugar has gone up, depending on what you eat. Um, insulin is what helps get that blood sugar back into that balanced range that the body likes. Um, What's difficult to know is basically, you see what your blood sugar is, but how do you know how much insulin your body had to produce to get your blood sugar into that range? And unfortunately, tracking insulin isn't super viable at the moment. Um, There's ways to do it through blood testing, but there's not continuous tracking of insulin yet. Um, but you're exactly right that essentially that insulin regulation is connected to hormonal regulation for so many other things. And and I think what you're referring to is polycystic ovarian syndrome um, as one of kind of a variety of metabolically driven conditions that are related to fertility and and women's um, health and, and men's health too, but in the case of fertility, women's health um, in this case for PCOS and, and that getting better insulin control um, and, and in many cases, lowering insulin into a much more optimal range will will really help to reverse a lot of that, that metabolic challenge that the body's been undergoing.
0: I'm so glad you used that word metabolic because it's something that it was kind of ab- abstract to me when I heard the word metabolic. Uh, you know, around the the internet streets, I would think it means metabolism. And then you hear things for years that it's like speed up your metabolism and slow down your metabolism, this and this and that. Metabolic health is so much more than just this generic thing of like, as you age, your metabolism slows down. It felt like just a very flat, one statement, fly by night kind of, you know, metabolism. Uh, Can you Tell us what what is metabolic health and why should we care and what do we do with that?
1: Yeah, so metabolic health is really just thinking about all those bio- biochemical processes that I was describing and really trying to make them as efficient and um, with as least work as possible for the body. And so it's really just about how efficiently and easily is your body able to convert the food that you eat into energy? And unfortunately what happens a lot for, for Americans, um, and and I, I struggled with this myself, so I'm not immune to this, is um, that depending on what we eat and, and how our bodies are, oftentimes we're constantly kind of in this up and down of blood sugar where the blood sugar spiking, then our insulin is surging to bring it back down, then it's going up and our bodies are always kind of working hard to try to keep blood sugar in the optimal range. And over time, that creates a whole bunch of effects. I, I'm not sure if you heard this, but I've, I've recently heard Alzheimer's being referred to by some people as diabetes type three. But I think that reflects just how far yeah. reaching
0: this. I'm glad you brought that be. up. That, yeah. Alzheimer's too. I heard that insulin and Alzheimer's have a relationship. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and dementia so- too. Is that or is right. it just right. Yeah, okay. To, Get yeah. into that. Yeah. And and I
1: think so to answer your question on metabolic health, really what we're encapsulating is is all of this energy and fuel processing, but really it's the connections of that to the underlying physiology of the body. Right. It's like the core energy system of the body. It's linked, in my opinion, it's linked to everything really that that is happening in our body. So I don't know if that answers the question more clearly, but um, it certainly expands on it from just, do you have a fast metabolism or a slow metabolism?
0: Totally. I mean, I think the whole world of med tech is um, maybe not, new for the professionals, but it's new to the consumers like me with, you know, um, uh, what's it called? Not hardware, um, uh, wearables, like health trackers and all of this, like, you know, Levels is a wearable. Or is it even called a wearable because it's more a medical device? How, what would you What's it classified as? Um,
1: so Levels itself is an app. And then we integrate the continuous glucose monitors as sensors. But
0: I would call it an app or a platform at this point. And as we're becoming exposed to all these things, it it can be a little bit daunting. There's so much. So if someone wanted to start their journey on, you know, improving their metabolic health because they want to make sure that they can have a baby when they want to have a baby and they want to prevent, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia as much as possible and they want to have like uh, less body fat, what are the first steps to take? What, what do we think about? What do we look at? What do we really like? It's just so overwhelming.
1: Yeah. So I, I think in an ideal world, it would start in the way that you described, which is having some information about how your body is reacting to the food that you're eating. And, and it's not just food. It's also the way that you're sleeping, the way that you're exercising, the levels of stress you have can really impact your, your metabolic health. So if the person has access to, to levels and, and hopefully levels will be accessible to much larger groups soon, um, we're currently beta testing. But I think that is such a powerful tool as a, a jumpstart. That said, there you can start without it also. Um, and I think that there's a few kind of low hanging fruit, simple things that people can do. So for example, and we were chatting about this a little bit earlier, but being conscious of moving your body after you eat Um, That alone has such a massive effect on blood sugar. And Levels, the Levels team actually did an experiment on this with drinking Coke and either moving or not moving after they drank it. And simply going for a walk after you drink that has a really significant effect on the impact on your body. So that's something easy you can do without a sensor. You don't need a sensor to know that it's gonna help. Likewise, you know, being conscious of the amount of sugar and the things that you're eating. It seems so straightforward, but it is amazing how hidden sugar is in so 100%. much of our food, right?
0: It's, it's incredible. 100% especially in America. Um, Are there a few other examples of findings that you've discovered um, through Levels data that you're able to share of like the walking after? Are there any kind of actionable things that we could apply in our day-to-day life that that will improve our, our insulin processing?
1: Yeah. So I think one of them is sleeping well. Um, I don't think there's any question yes. at this point, right? That, I just
0: started yeah. prioritizing sleep. No more of this, like, I'll sleep when I'm dead, four-hour hustler nonsense. <laughs> I want my eight hours, and it's so hard when it's been years. I need to train my body to sleep that long, but it, it yes, yes. Yeah. No, I, I empathize with that. I, I'm coming off of all different kinds of
1: roles and careers where sleep is not valued, and um, I can see, you know, in my own continuous glucose data that when I don't sleep well, even if I eat really well the next day, my blood sugar will be a little bit out of control. And um, and I should say the reason I came to Levels was because I wanted the product for myself. So in many <laughs> You're ways, like, I don't want to be on the wait list. <laughs> yeah, that no, that's exactly right. When I was introduced to Sam, I realized that I had signed up for their wait list nine months before. And so, as part of that intro conversation, I said, you know, Sam, I'd really like to get off the wait list and, <laughs> and, and have this product. And he he made that happen. But really. I'm, I'm so thrilled to be at levels because I'm really every day building a product that I want and that I want everyone that I love
0: to have. Yeah, I, I mean, I love... Levels. Like, I, I love it. I'm not the kind of person who wants to cut off an arm and, and become a robot when they make better arms. But I am the person who loves tracking my organic body and just seeing what I'm capable of and and how to live a more full life. And, and I really, really appreciate um, that I've been introduced to the Levels technology, especially as novice as I am and not understanding anything about metabolic health or insulin or any of this stuff. And I love how accessible Levels um, makes that information. Lauren, I want to get back into your journey being in tech. What does your day-to-day look like uh, working at Levels?
1: Levels has a very progressive and experimental culture. So we are completely remote and completely asynchronous. So that means that in any given week, I have maybe half an hour to an hour of meetings scheduled. Um, Sometimes some are added, but it is really a culture of no meetings, which I think is amazing. And as a result, we've learned to use many other tools to communicate with each other and to make efficient kind of operational decisions and and just progress forward. So my typical day really is basically around how I work best. So for example, I usually block off a few hours in the morning when I'm most awake and kind of alert and ready to, to work to just think and do the deep work that that I really haven't had the opportunity to do in that protected way for years. That's amazing. And then the other part of my job that I love is I just, I get to learn from really incredible people at the company and external to the company who are helping us work towards this very big mission of solving the metabolic health crisis, but really on the day-to-day saying, okay, but really how do we get, like you said, how do we help people take that first step Right? Like, it's not about us becoming bionic people who do everything right. It's like, what is the one thing, for example, I got my parents on it. Like, what is the one thing that they can do to really move the needle without having to
0: completely redo their entire lives? I want to get into your parents on it too because I'm curious. But before then, you brought up two things. You said that the the mentorship culture at Levels was something that that you really appreciated, and you also talked about being an async culture, um, and so not speaking in real time. Can you tell us a little bit about how you all do that? Like, do you just create Loom videos, or what's that look like for other other listeners who maybe want to incorporate that into their company? And then, how in an async culture are you even able to learn from one another if you're not meeting in real time? These are really interesting questions. And and honestly, a lot of
1: the reason I love Levels in our culture is because we're experimenting still. We're constantly trying new ways of doing this to see what works best. You are correct. We do send and make and send a lot of looms. We also, we use threads um, to have asynchronous conversations. We are very communicative with each other, but in a much more maybe this is biased, but I think of it as a much more deliberate way. So we don't find ourselves in meetings where we're just brainstorming essentially, like if in the rare case that we do have meetings, it's to make a decision in general, and it's just with the decision makers. To answer your second question about how we learn from each other, I think there's something about being asynchronous. And for example, using long form memos or threads to convey thoughts, that there's just a level of thoughtfulness in the way that people communicate their ideas. And so, for me at least, I'm really able, I think, to better understand the nuance in their thinking. And especially if it's in a function that is really different from my area of expertise, I'm much better able to learn from it almost like you would from a book, which sounds kind of strange. And it's all there for everyone to read. We're a very, very transparent company. So whether it's a memo written by someone in leadership or a memo written by someone more junior, it's all there. And it's accessible for everyone to learn from.
0: I mean, when you say threads and that they're like books, is that just Slack threads or where do you write these threads if you're allowed to share? It's actually a company called Threads. And oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah I had no idea. I'm going to be Googling them later. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a new tool for me also that I've learned to use since joining the company. But it's really um, interesting. And we actually work closely with their team as well in terms of providing feedback for how we're using it and features that we'd like.
0: Is it just, do you happen to know, is it just threads.com or threads.co or.io or, .io or I <laughs> Which it's threads.com. It? Threads. It? Okay. I'm going to check that out later. That's so cool. It's I a great tools.
1: tool. It's a great tool.
0: It's funny. You talked about, you could read it like reading books and time and time again. Um, it's funny in this digital age, as we move further away from reading books, if you ask, most successful people, the one thing that they say made them a success is reading as many books as possible. So it just, yeah. And and I know that your team is so efficient and progressive and meets a lot of milestones faster than other, other startups. And I wonder if you know, re- operating the company in this way um, contributes to the efficiency and the milestones that you're able to reach um, in that way. That's the hope. And like I said, we're
1: always trying new things. So if something isn't working, it's likely we'll probably fix it or, or not. Let's not call it fix it. We'll change it. We'll try something else. And maybe that new change will be better. So
0: that's that's the culture. You talked about your parents. So just for like a heartbeat so what did your parents do with this new data were they like what are you getting me into like what was that like it's interesting i should probably start by saying they're both professors
1: so they're they're very academic in their orientation Initially, I think it was a little bit, they weren't really sure what they were looking at when their blood sugar data first came up and we had a lot of, this was over the holidays and this is actually the first time our family was together in, in two years. So there was a lot going on. So I was there helping them and we had a lot of conversations about metabolic health and what the various things mean. But in the end, they actually learned really quickly that the goal was to keep their blood sugar in a certain range And that there were foods that would help them do that. And it was amazing to see how quickly they adapted. They're now in a phase when they are experimenting, I think is what they're calling it, where they're trying to reincorporate some of the foods that they love or working on substitutes. So it's been fun to see them go through the the process.
0: Do you happen to know, either for yourself or your parents, one of the bad foods that turned out not to hit their system so bad, like it wasn't as bad as they thought it was? That's difficult because in general, the foods that you think are bad end up being bad.
1: I like which one. Well, so anything with a lot of sugar in it is going to be bad, right? Like for example, my mom recently experimented with half of a French pastry and it was just half. And she was like, it was very small and it was almond and and it shot her way up. I hope she doesn't mind me sharing that. Um, But you know, I I will say there's a lot of variation between people. So for example, my dad loves fruit. He also happens to be six, four. And is super fit, and it ends up he can eat half a banana, and it's fine. I couldn't do that myself. So really,
0: even half a banana spikes you.
1: Definitely, for me, yes, yeah. Unfortunately, I have a very low uh, tolerance for carbs of any kind, so I I'll spike on almost anything that has that has significant carb
0: content. But see, that's what's so interesting is a banana society viewpoint is a healthy food that is great for you that you should eat every single day and not half, a whole one, you know? This is why I think Levels is just the coolest because you get to actually know what is healthy for each each of our bodies. It's not speculation. What's a piece of advice that you've gotten in your career that's really stuck with you?
1: While we're on the theme of my parents, I think a piece of advice that I've really incorporated into my whole life is what they would say is simple pictures are best. And this was actually based on a, a children's story about a family trying to take a portrait and they keep trying to complicate it by putting like different costumes and bringing the animals in and all these things. And in the end, of course, every time it gets ruined because something happens. And in the end, it's like the simple picture is the best picture. And I think I've really applied that to, to everything. When I was really in math, I think in, into math, I think often the, the answer that's the simplest ends up being the best one. That's certainly true in medicine and healthcare. Um, and, and I think ultimately even links to metabolic health. It's it's really about the kind of connecting the basics of what you eat to to what's happening in your body. And I think that's one of the great challenges for, for me and my role is how do we take something that is so incredibly complex and make it feel simple?
0: When you do have uh, a challenge and something in your day-to-day work life that you're stuck on, like a problem that you're stuck on how do you seek support in a way where you don't feel embarrassed that you don't know the answer?
1: Well, that's, I think those are two separate questions. The first one is, what do I do? And the second one is to not feel embarrassment.
0: <laughs> I, I, think, I think the answer,
1: are actually connected for me right now, which is I found dance as an adult and um, spend a lot of time actually studying dance. And often when I'm stumped on something at work, I will go and dance. And it's interesting because it ties into the embarrassment question as well, which is like, when I first started, I did have quite a bit of embarrassment, right? And I think many people do with dancing, but the more you do it and the more you exhaust all those different ways to feel embarrassed, the less and less it becomes a thing. And, and at this point, I, I rarely feel embarrassed about basically anything because when I'm dancing, I'm always new to it. So um, I'm I'm very used to, at this point, the feeling of not knowing. And I should say, I've I've had an amazing mentor there, Tika Morgan, who who has really taught me that way of engaging with
0: dance. You just inspired me to to think maybe I should, when there's a problem, I should just stop everything and even do like a three-minute meditation. Just like that is my habit. Like I'm flustered, there's a problem, three-minute meditation.
1: I think so. And I think there's something about going into your body, at least for me that is so powerful and feeling that groundedness and feeling the power of just being connected to yourself that really clears the mind to to feel rather than think and often i think that is where the the solution is is just yeah it's not thinking as hard it goes back to simple pictures are best
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and in in your in your career what's a huge obstacle that you successfully overcome and how did you overcome it
1: One thing that has been a challenge for me throughout, I think, is just navigating a somewhat unconventional career where moving from investing to clinical medicine to health tech and looking back now, it feels connected. But in the moment, at every stage and within each stage, people, often senior men, but senior folks, would share that, you know, if I left X and maybe X was the company or the industry or the role, that essentially I would never be successful because of this reason or that reason. And as a young person, I think those voices are really powerful when you're still just trying to find your way. And over time, I think, and I think we were chatting about this a little bit before, which is just trusting in your own voice the most and and letting that be the guiding thing. That has been the, the biggest source of kind of overcoming the doubt, I guess. And I think this has been echoed in many of your your episodes, which I so appreciate because it's a your
0: intuition is your oracle. Yeah. And you know, and it's a
1: universal experience, I think, of basically trying to figure out the weighting of other people's voices versus your own and where the right balance is.
0: A hundred percent. Lauren, you're so cool. I know we I know we talked about threads. And having listened to the episodes, you know, I'm super geek about (laughs) tools and software and apps. Is there another one that comes to mind, uh, like one that you can't live without or your go to either an app or a website? So I am a very simplistic person when it comes to apps and tools, which is a little strange.
1: Like I probably use Google Docs um, just as much as anything else. I mean, I love WhatsApp. That's how simple I am in terms of communication. Like I highly value communicating with with the people that I that I care about. This links to Dance Shazam for discovering new music. I think it's so inspiring and it connects you to the story of other worlds and other people. Those are two of them. No, there's nothing fancy in those, but um, but I use them a lot.
0: That counts. And a must follow person, it could be a podcaster, a YouTuber, a blogger, an author. Who's a must follow for you? I love Esther Perel. I think yes. that her work is so amazing. I and- listened to her on the Call Her Daddy podcast.
1: Oh, it's she's so brilliant. And she's made me think in such different ways, not just about relationships with other people, but about re- my relationship with myself. Um, and, and kind of looping back to your other question about what do I do when I'm stumped or I don't know something. Often it's doing things like that, like listening to someone who's talking about something totally different. And it just it pushes you to think in a different way. So I love her work. Um, I follow it. And I think she's just, she's amazing.
0: I just started um, listening to her podcast. Do you, where, where do you listen or read or what should I tap into?
1: I love her podcast, Where Should We Begin? There's several seasons of it. I think it is, it's just amazing. And it, it really reinforces often. So for, for people who don't know, essentially, these are recorded sessions of her counseling sessions with the permission of the people that she is working with. And what you realize is that at the beginning, the, the topic of the conversation might seem like something that has no application to your life, but within 10 minutes, you realize this is part of the universal human experience. And, and it's something that you probably have experienced or will experience. And so I love that about it. And, and being able to actually hear the audio and the voices of the real people in the physical room or the virtual room with her is just, it's really incredible.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think her podcast is so cool. And a book that you recommend we read. So I'm really into poetry. Um, and I
1: love Mary Oliver and she has a compilation called devotions that I just, I love, I've read it for years and I give it to all my friends for their for their birthdays, even if they don't want it and they don't like poetry, I just continue to give it anyway, because oh gosh, that's how that's much gonna, I care about I'm it. I'm gonna
0: make a note, devotions. Like you think I, I should give that as a birthday gift to some friends too? <laughs> Read
1: it yourself first and okay. you know <laughs> and b- then before, you, before you go out on a limb <laughs> on my recommendation. But I think her work is going back to kind of simple, simple being powerful. She just, she has a way of connecting the most universal human experiences with words. And I think it can speak to, to anyone. But I'm very biased, so take that for, for what it is. Where can people connect with you? You can find Levels on Instagram and Twitter, at Levels. And that is, that is really the best way. I, myself, am not super active on social media. so oh, it um, means you live a happy, fulfilled life. <laughs> I do. I live a life with, uh, with more, more mental quiet, maybe, than the other route. It's, it's honestly not even for that altruistic reason. It's, it's really just, I have trouble juggling it with everything. So I just, uh, it hasn't made it in.
0: Let's talk about that. I think that's an important thing to talk about, almost not having social media. How much social media do you have and what is your participation in social media? And so two questions. And then the third question is so many people fear that if I'm not on social, I'm not relevant. I won't be able to have a job. I won't be hired. So what's your social media look like? What is your involvement in social and do you need social media to have business opportunities? The last question is a difficult
1: question because I'm operating on not having it. So I'm not sure what would happen if I did have it. I have a pretty limited social media engagement or presence. I have an Instagram. I think I have two posts on it. Um, I'm not saying this is the ideal thing that people should follow. This is just uh, my personal It's just what's what's happened over time. I think that social can be really a powerful connector for people. I have friends who use it to really reflect who they are. And I think they do so in a really beautiful way. And they share that with the world around them. And I think that's an amazing thing. Like they're contributing to the overall intelligence and beauty and creativity of the world. So I, I admire them for that. I think in terms of being successful in the business world, part of it is just what context you're working within. I think as, as you were saying at the beginning, if you're in a setting where you're not as connected in the physical world to people, I think it can be amazing. I mean, you can connect with people all over the world. Um, I should probably do more of it. So this will be inspiration, but I do think it's possible to, to not. And the, the great thing about not doing it is you have more time or I'll speak for myself. I believe I have more time. I'm not sure that that's true. I haven't. I haven't. That's the null hypothesis.
0: <laughs> it is true, and I do not want to inspire you to be on social. Please stay off social. <laughs> Trust me, it's a better life. <laughs> I'll I'll take your word on that. And and at, at this point, I, I I
1: don't have a social skill set, so I would have to to build that, which would probably take even more time. So it
0: one day. I don't know if you know, but I've been off social media for two months. So I just returned to social media yesterday. So. I have very clear understanding of what life is like without social media and what life is like with. Now, I wasn't like off 100 percent, but I was off 99.9 percent. I maybe responded to like a couple a couple messages like it was close to nothing and it was proactively not posting. And I mean, I could get into a whole thing about the psychology of my experience, but I From my experience, your life is better overall without social media. Well, I appreciate
1: that. And I I think the experiment you did is so interesting. And I've done a similar but different experiment where sometimes I just turn off my phone, which is even more extreme, I guess, considering I also don't have social media. So then I'm really just off the grid. And I love doing that. I I love it.
0: There was one period in my life where I, I backpacked for four months without a computer or phone. But I find that, As each year goes on and, um, you know, our tech companies, et cetera, build us into this world like where at one point we could just do our banking and now we have to have our phone to do banking and et cetera or whatever it may be. It feels more intense to cut it out and it feels like you're making so much, it's like a lot heavier of a life choice to say, I'm going to turn off my phone or I'm going to not just, it feels like um, we're being forced into being more integrated into it. Do you agree or disagree?
1: I agree. And I've especially noticed that working for a remote company where recently my Wi-Fi went out in the building or it, it, it didn't go out. I recently moved apartments and I had a little bit of a challenge with Comcast. So I didn't have Wi-Fi for a while and it was amazing how little I could do and how ungrounded I felt in that and disoriented. And it really made me realize just how dependent I am on it. And not just that, but that it's really connected to my work, my personal life, almost everything. The only things really that I was able to do that are part of my normal routine that I could still do were to move my body. I went out and I went for a walk. It it is. So maybe that's the lesson here is is, move. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Move, (laughs) move and move in as many ways as possible. Definitely.
0: A couple questions that, uh, that will help me as this podcast creator, I was reading Arlen Hamilton's book. um, It's about damn time. And it's uh, about how um, how we have so many more advantages uh, dependent on our network. And even in your story, because you went to school with someone who was able to introduce you to someone else, you were able to get a job and it inspired me to think how can this women in tech podcast be a conduit for people to have more opportunity how can i share the access i have to give others to give women uh, around the world more opportunity it's kind of like a big question one thing that came to mind to me is you know a lot of people are looking to raise money so can i can i connect our listeners to venture capitalists like what Does anything kind of intuitively pop into your mind of a way I could use our podcast in order to, I guess, make our listeners' lives easier, more connected, um, share my access with them?
1: Well, first of all, I so appreciate what your podcast does. And I have had experiences in my life where the mentorship of women in leadership positions has completely changed my entire mindset, even if I only interacted them with them for a summer internship, for example, it has such a huge impact, and I think what you're doing provides that for people all over the world and i'm I'm so appreciative um so I think no, it really it really is it makes such a difference um so I think you're already doing so much. I want to give this question more thought. one thing that comes to mind and I don't know if this is even possible on your podcast, but is translating some of these very inspirational stories into first steps. So for example, I think like a lot of women, young women, women of any age, including me in certain situations, for example, something as easy as like, okay, I'm really interested in finance. How do I get an internship? And it's not necessarily like, oh, you prepare, whatever, but like literally, how do you get that internship? Like, do you write an application? Do you con- Do you start like sending emails out to your network? Do you go to events? Like, what do you do? And maybe having little like 10 minutes, something with a woman who can say point by point, like this is what I did to get my first internship. And it, it spares no detail. And it creates a blueprint for people to follow themselves.
0: That actually does give me an idea. I've been thinking about different technologies to use in order to facilitate introductions. And so- Maybe there's something there. Definitely mentorship has been a theme, even even in our community group, um, people bring up how they're really craving more mentorship. But honestly, Lauren, I just don't, I don't know, like as this facilitator, how to best facilitate, whether it be mentorship or introductions to investor, whatever. I don't know what that looks like yet. So but yeah, you know, you're definitely helping, I mean, the step-by-step, step, that's definitely a point in the, in the right direction. So thank you so much. My second question is this podcast has existed now since I started producing it in 2014 and then it launched in 2015 and our community does not have a name. And I'm starting to think we should have a name. Is our name just Women in Tech? Because I, I can't picture like starting the podcast be like, hello, Women in Techers. <laughs> <laughs> so what is our community name?
1: That is such a good question. I want to say this is not the name, but I feel like it has the power of like just the future leaders of tomorrow. That's that's even a redundant Hello, title.
0: future leaders <laughs> of tomorrow. <laughs> it's
1: so cliche. No, but you know what I mean? Like kind of I, what I love about what you do is that it inspires women to go out and lead in their lives separate from having to be identified as doing so as a woman right it's like basically saying you can do anything and and being female and, or identified as female or and I, I know you have male listeners too but that's that's an extra powerful thing and you can use it and you can work with it but also you're just amazing in and of yourself and anything is possible so i i wonder if there's you know like if there's a name for the community that just reflects that, that expansiveness of what you're doing.
0: On our team call today, I was joking, but now I wonder if it's not a bad idea. So you got to call me out, Lauren, if this is really just silly. <laughs> I was joking on our team call this morning. I was like, what if it was, hello, fire starters? And I was like, what is even a fire starter? I think that's super cheese. Uh, I I love
1: that line of thinking, though. It might not be quite right, but, but <laughs> But no, I love it, I really do it. And maybe for a while you just use different names every time and eventually one will stick. Like one will come out spontaneously that just feels right.
0: Right and you'll know. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Lauren, for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world. Remember to visit our community at Women in VIP.com. Women in Tech VIP.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you all. I'll talk to you soon on the next episode. Bye.
1: Bye. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Lauren Kelly Chu. I am head of clinical product at Levels. Levels helps you see how food affects your health. I am based in Oakland, California, and you're listening to Women in Tech.